the Fiona. Number 135. The one where, whoa, living on a prayer. The Fiona's Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo commuters out there. I'm David Getty. Johnny used to work on the dock. <laughs> I'm Jeremiah Orr. <laughs> Together we are the, the Fionas. Hey, David. Got how your you Bon Jovi going on today. Dude, man, I, I grew up on that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know you did. <laughs> so it'll be for my time, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Were you a fanboy of Bon Jovi? Not really. Yeah. It was it was one of those you know football rock out yeah. type of things. It's so funny the way things the way things play out. Like that song "Living on a Prayer" is like the biggest Bon Jovi song now, right? Right. Yeah. Like at the time, it was just another Bon Jovi song. Like it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't the even that that album "Slippery When Wet." There were other songs on there that we liked a whole lot better. Really? And, uh, well, You Give Love a Bad Name, obviously. was. You Give Love a Bad Name. <laughs> it was probably bigger at the time. Yeah. But, yeah. I always thought they were a little too girly for me. Well, that's because you were past the hairband era. <laughs> I guess so. So all the, the, the hairband phenomenon was one of the weirdest things in history. Like, it was glam, but nobody saw it as glam. Like everybody right. saw it as rock and tough. Rock. I mean, Molly Crew, <laughs> the crew. You know, the Poison. Yeah, they were a little girly. Poison. We, we kind of had to be like, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> so anyway, so how's your week been? Oh, it's been good. Yeah, uh, went all to this time off on your hands. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Days are days are all running together for me actually. Yeah. So it's been good. We went to Kansas to celebrate little Miss Blakely's birthday. Yay. She turned 1 and yes. uh yeah, so I've officially kept a baby alive for a year. I'm pretty yeah. proud about that. Yeah. Pretty that's, awesome. That's quite an accomplishment. It is. I'm, I'm proud for you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And so <laughs> she's healthy and happy and growing and goofing off and all that fun stuff. So Yeah. Saw a video of her throwing her eggs in the floor. Yeah, it was great. I, may, I thought I'd get up and make her eggs this morning, and <laughs> I turn around and turn back around, and they're all, all over the floor. And, <laughs> and she's just looking at me like, hey, what are you going to do now? Yeah. Yeah. Have fun. Let's, let's do this. I'm like, all right, kid. I get it. Yep, that's the way it goes, man. <laughs> it's awesome. It is awesome. So, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, you were in Kansas. Yes. So I've got the sermon on Sunday. Yes. I'm preaching. Uh-huh. And you decide you're going to try <laughs> yeah. and disrupt my sermon. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know I was thinking of you. That's yeah. all. <laughs> So I sent a text that said, hey, it's 12 o'clock. It's time to stop your sermon now. <laughs> At like 12.01. Yeah. And I, you know, I felt the notification go off, but I ignored it. Uh-huh. I really wish I had looked at it because I was still preaching. <laughs> of course you were. And so, 
<laughs> you don't get done preaching until it's like three o'clock. <laughs> oh, whatever. <laughs> and so, and so I was. I, if I had seen it, I would have stopped the sermon and let everybody know that you said it was time to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you would have. I'd have been getting phone calls. Oh, that's funny. Wow. So, so the sermon went good. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be talking about it. Yeah, I want to. I want to. So hear it's kind of what we it. what we did last week, right? You had the sermon that became a Theonauts episode. Yes, this week I had the sermon. Isn't that funny how that, that becomes happens? a Theonauts yeah. episode. It's great. And so, uh, yeah, this is kind of part two. Yeah, of what we what we started last week. So on prayer. Yeah, yeah. So we ready to dive into that? Let's do it. All right. Okay, so uh, what I wanted to do mm-hmm. is is just kind of dovetail mm-hmm. into what we did last week mm-hmm. because this it, it it doesn't contradict in any way. It's like everything blends together in this harmony sure. of stuff, which is really cool because I, I I love the fact that when you said, "Hey, I'm working up this sermon on prayer,", prayer I'm like, "Dude, that's been on my heart." I'm like, you know. All this sort of thing, and you're uh, still in my thunder. Yeah, what's the matter with you? <laughs> and uh, but it wasn't the same thing, actually. Right, it was no. different, completely different sides of it. And so, um, I, I, that's one of those things I like to call that spirit symphony. You know, sure, because you're playing an instrument, I'm playing an instrument. We're not playing the exact same notes, but it's making the same song. It's harmonizing. Spirit is working. That's right. So it's, it's beautiful. Awesome. So, um, so last week we talked about. Prayer being a key to intimacy mm-hmm. with God, right, and a, a building fellowship or koinonia, koinonia with God. Yes. So this week is going to be about an extension of that, and so how prayer builds koinonia with God, but because of that, it builds koinonia with each other. Yes. And so the the main thing I want to talk about is praying together. And the importance of prayer. And it's really weird until you start looking at it from this angle. It's like you're kind of blind to how prayer is, at least I was, kind of blind to how prayer is happening in the New Testament. And then you start looking at this and you go, wow, I never realized what prayer was doing in, right. in especially the book of Acts. And so, so I'm going to talk about the book of Acts quite a bit. Awesome. So, um, so one of the things I wanted to start with is is um, is jumping into Acts uh, chapter six. So now the first few verses of Acts chapter, chapter six, we we read that like a lot when we're talking about deacons and we're talking about yes. service because this is the this is they don't actually call them deacons in the scripture, but this is traditionally the naming of the first deacons. Uh, because of an issue that was rising up. So you had the church growing like crazy and, uh, and people are like selling everything they've got and distributing it evenly or supposedly evenly. Right. And there's some disputes that are coming up because of that. And, uh, and so, which I think is funny that believers would actually be having disputes among one another. 
Really? <laughs> How shocking. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. Never seen that happen before. Yeah, no kidding. So, but it's obviously started. We uh, Everyone wants to look at chapter two, right? And right. go, look, they're all in fellowship. In one accord. It's just one big commune. Right. And, uh, which is a good word for it, actually, because of koinonia and all mm-hmm. that. But, but, uh, but really, yeah, they they were de- dedicated to that, but there was still problems, sure. still issues. So the first always will be first four verses of of this passage, uh, Acts chapter six. Do you have it up there? Yes. Okay, go for it. All right, but we will devote. Oh, first four verses. First four verses. Sorry. Now, in these <laughs> days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in a daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, "It is not right that we should give up preaching, the, uh, give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word." Okay, so uh, reading this. We've always focused on the work, right? Okay, so obviously you got the Greek-speaking Jews, you got the you got the the Hebrew Jews, right? All of these becoming Christians, and they're not necessarily getting along well. And there's this, hey, they're getting more than us, blah blah blah. And it's not like the disciples were saying, "Look, we're above this." <laughs> it's not really what they were saying. They were just saying, "Look, there's a lot of work, a lot of work that we have to do, and we can't take time out to deal with the petty." Problems, Right. So let's name some people to do that. And so we always focus on the work. And to be honest with you, I've read this verse, I don't know how many times, right? And that very last sentence there, it says, but we will continue in prayer and to teach the word of God. Yes. So it's like they weren't, they weren't saying our job is just to preach and we're just going to go preach and blah, blah, blah. They've, they said, we're, we're going to focus our ministry on prayer, yes. devoting it to prayer and to the preaching of the Word of God. And so I guess my, my point that I wanted to, to look at is the importance in the disciples' mind of having time and the availability to pray. Obviously, they're talking about praying together because they're doing this work together. Right. We're going to devote our time in prayer. It's a ministry. It's a very important uh, ministry of theirs. Sure. To them, it was... <clears throat> I mean, that's why prayer comes up first. To them, that this was their highest calling. Yes. Was prayer yes. together. And right? so... Um, and so, I, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while. I know that we've talked about it a little bit, too. And it's um, this whole idea of, of, like, we're called... To, um, to preach, we're called to to. We've planted a church, you know, you mm-hmm. and I, and and uh, and others, and we feel called to that work. Like there's that that mission, right? That we've been called to, right? But our calling is kind of the same as what the, the disciples were saying here. Absolutely, you know? we're called into the ministry. Okay, so that we're called into ministry. But what is that? And you think about it, what all is involved <laughs> in ministry. Oh my goodness, so much. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it, a full-time job. Yes, and you look at this this stuff. I mean, you've got uh, uh, there's preaching, counseling, programs, uh, uh, getting the service together, worship, uh, 
I mean, we could just go on and on and on right. of, of all the ministries that are involved in, quote unquote, the ministry. Right. But I believe that first and foremost, the most important ministry we have is prayer. Yes. And because without being, without inviting God into the middle of all these other ministries, they are fruitless. So they have no, they have no real power without, without making God a part of it. And of course, um, People go, oh, yeah, we, we pray and blah, blah, blah. But think about how we've traditionally in the American church used prayer and how we have prayed together. Yeah. It's usually used as a transition period. That's right. In your service. You start at the beginning, <laughs> then you end with prayer. You know, you start with prayer. That's the opening of the service. Then yeah. you end with prayer. That's the closing of the service. Then you start with prayer, and that's the beginning of the meal. Yeah, right? yeah. You pray before you leave, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is the go-to thing for a to begin or end a meeting. Right, right. That's what. And and I know if you were to ask everybody if that's the meaning of prayer, everyone's going to say no. no. Yeah. But in the workings of it, in our physical usage of praying together, that is usually how and only how we pray together. We yeah, we've compartmentalized yeah. prayer. And we and we have had situations where a special thing is happening or whatever. Uh, for example, we had you know uh, we celebrate our, our seniors mm-hmm. and going off to the Navy and college and all this sort of stuff. And we called them forward sure. and, and we all you know laid hands on them and prayed on them and that sort of thing. So yeah, we we do that, but most of the time our prayer is you know. Thank us for thank you for the day. Help us to do a good job in this worship service. Blah blah blah. And then you know it's the way we've ended some worship services without praying. And what does everybody do? Panic. You don't know what to do. Yeah, You're everyone's just, looking at each other like, we, "Do we move now? Uh, can I get up now? Is this right, is, exactly. this, is this thing over?" <laughs> and so you almost ha- kind of have to still do it just so everybody knows. Oh sure. You know it's like uh, Salieri telling Mozart in that movie Amadeus. He was like, "You didn't even give them a good bang at the end of the song, so they know when to clap." Right. <laughs> and so. Uh, so anyway, uh, so I want to make a thesis statement here that is going to be our job to kind of kind of prove this out. But I believe that God has structured his kingdom so that his mighty workings and purposes are accelerated when we pray together. Mm. And so uh, that's a bold statement. Sure. So it's like all the things that we purpose and all the things that we do and all the work that we do, God doesn't need us to do that, right? He can do it all. Sure. But he doesn't need anything. It is his desire. It is his desire. Yes. For us to do this with him. Right. And so it's like communication is so important in any relationship. You you don't go into a business venture without having a meeting first. Right. And talking about what you're going to do. And so it's like, uh, if we're doing ministry, if we're doing any type of work, if we're if we've got anything planned, if we're building a church, building a program, whatever, if you're not coming together and discussing it with God and praying over it, it might work if God really wants it to happen, but it will definitely be accelerated if you're putting God right smack in the middle of it and acknowledging Him in all of it. Yeah, and so that's kind of. What the the thesis statement is, so I think the most important thing that we do as far as ministry goes is whenever we come together as leaders of our congregation and we just simply 
pray over the congregation and we pray over the work that we're doing and we pray over all this stuff. And so um, the question is, is that scriptural? Is that a scriptural statement? Is that something that is exemplified in scripture? And this is not to say that prayer doesn't happen in your closet because Jesus does talk about that in the sermon. Sure, and he goes off by himself and prays all the time. Yeah, and so you've got, you know, you know the whole War Room movie, and you go, go do that, okay, whatever. But, but, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, not saying it's not scriptural. It is, it is a very scriptural thing. It is just like we talked about last week. It builds your intimacy <clears throat> with God. But we're not on this island alone. Right. You know, we're not, we're not, it, it takes a village, right? Sure. And, and uh, so, um, so I'm, I was thinking back to the Sermon on the Mount, and you think about, Jesus's actual uh, when what we call the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. and uh, think about what Jesus was saying. First off, he was telling them this isn't how you don't want to pray. You, you don't want to be a bunch of vain repetitions, as you know, and we don't. You don't want to do all this loud, boisterous stuff so that you can be heard. Yeah, showing off <clears throat> and all that. So he gives us a pattern, and then what do we do? We memorize it and make it a vain repetition. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, because most of us, I don't I say most of us, I guess me growing up, memorizing the King James, and so I pulled up the King James version of this passage. Okay. So that we can kind of hear what's being said, and plus there's, there's another <clears throat> reason to. Which one are you going to, the one in Matthew? <clears throat> Matthew 6. Okay. Beginning in verse, I'll go from 9 to 13. You do have the old King James, though, I'm right? pulling it up. Somewhere, it's in the archives. I, I got to go way back in the back, <laughs> blow the dust off of it. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. It's still intact. The pages don't I'm fall. I'm so amazed. Don't fall out of it. <laughs> this is the authorized version. All right, here we go. You want to, where were we starting at? Verse nine. 6? Uh, Matthew 6, verse 9. Verse through, 9, okay. Through 13. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, so, given what we're talking about, does anything in that passage jump out? Yeah. That maybe didn't jump out when we've been memorizing it all these times. Sure. Every single one of these uh, personal pronouns <laughs> yes. is a uh, plural. Yes. Yeah. In fact, he begins, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. This is one of the reasons why I chose the King James, mm-hmm. is because during that time frame, that's not just an archaic form of the word you. It is... Y'all. Y'all. It is a very specific you. It means uh, uh, it's the plural you. And so uh, when he says, therefore, pray ye, he's not talking to you in your, in your war room. He's talking, this, this specific instruction, he's referring to when you are gathered together, this is how you should pray. Right. So if you think about the things you're asking for, the very first word out of your mouth is our mm-hmm. father. So that... That in and of itself, the one word has so much power in it because this is now a communal thing. 
This is now a corporate right. thing. He is our father. And, and everywhere my father has a son, I have a brother. So this is, he is our father collectively. Right. And so um, if we continue to go through it, he talks about, okay, um, give us this day our daily bread. So this isn't a selfish prayer now anymore. This isn't, hey, God, make sure that I get taken care of. Make sure I have enough food to eat today. He is, the, the prayer is, Us. as a body, yeah. make sure we receive, so let's say some have food, some don't. The, the answer to the prayer, you might be the answer to the prayer by right. giving a brother some food or, or whatever. So this is a communal request. Right. Um, also, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So that also has a bigger meaning. Sure. So now it's like collectively, who are those that we have owed things to or are those that we, I mean, make sure that we are being or forgiving people. Right. And, you know, so that we can be forgiven collectively. Um, lead us not in temptation. Take care of the body. Make sure that, that, that sin doesn't infiltrate this great thing. I mean, so it just brings this whole new light to what the prayer is. It's not, it's no longer just you asking for supplication for yourself between you and God. It is something that you're asking on behalf of your family, your Christian family. And this, this isn't just (laughs) prayer. Uh, Chris, the Christian life is plural. Yes. It's meant to be lived together, mm-hmm. in community together. In fact, 90% of the yous in, in the New Testament are you all, right. are these ye. y'all or yees, <laughs> right? And so prayer is, is no different in mm-hmm. this. We're supposed to live life together, communally, um, working together and praying together yes. and, and being one together, right? Yes, yes. Having koinonia. Yeah, this is the whole... The, the whole concept of the church. So does that mean that you can't be a Christian in isolation? No. It just means that is hard. Yeah. And that is a, a, a poor choice <laughs> if you're choosing to isolate yourself from the body. Now, you might struggle to find a portion of the body that you can actually work with <laughs> because I know that that God's children can be some of the most stubborn stupidest people yeah. <laughs> sometimes and uh and that's not to disparage the bride of Christ is reality that we're flawed but together we can be better right and 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 there's strength in in numbers so um so if you look throughout the gospel writings Jesus is seen praying in 37 different passages Wow. Okay, 37 different okay. times throughout all the Gospels you can read of Jesus praying. 33 of them he's praying with people. Wow. There are only four instances of Jesus praying in solitude. The rest of those prayers that are mentioned are all communal prayers. They're, huh. They are all offered in a group setting, including my favorite prayer by our Lord, which is John 17. Mm where he is praying this great blessing upon... The high priestly prayer. Right. His disciples, as well as us, 
who hear their words and and follow after him. Right. So I just thought that that was a great if we're if we're called to follow Jesus, if we're called to be what he was, to do what he was doing, that has a lot of weight. In That's the fact right. that he's spending his time with 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 his disciples praying with them, praying for them and praying over them. And so if we're looking for a, an example in the scripture to follow, this is it. That's that's really big. Amen. So um, if you just look at Acts, Acts is just full of of, of corporate prayers. But um, one of the things that, that happened right off the bat, and I was, I was thinking about this. Okay, so one of the things that, that you've got, this great thing that happens at the day of Pentecost. Sure. Thousands of people coming to Christ. And them giving up their livelihood in many cases, giving up their homes to be together. Right. Great picture of love and devotion and faith and all this sort of stuff. But the next chapter, like chapter three, things start getting a little hairy. Right. All of a sudden, Peter and John get snagged up for preaching publicly and they get arrested. They get beaten. Right. And they're told, here's the message. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Quit. <laughs> Stop this. We don't want any more of this. Do not preach, or this will happen to you again. Right. Right? Persecution. Right off the bat. And it's one of those things that escapes us largely here in the United States. Sure. So I was just thinking about some of the, I guess, the, the ministries we do. What would it be like? How would it look? You know, if some of these ministries that we do, someone showed up, beat us up, and arrested us in the middle of it. So, like the blessing box that we have right out in front of our, our church, church yeah. building, we put food in there for people who are in need. What if someone's busting that thing off the hinges every time we turn around with wow. with a baseball bat and accosting the people who are stocking it? Does that change the way we operate? Does it change, you know, anything? What would our prayer life look like if that was even happening? Hmm. And this is one of those things that I think is a little e- even different because I think one of the main things we would pray for would be help stop this. Right. Right? Protect us. You know, that, that one, that, that phrase we mentioned last week, build a hedge of protection around us. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's <laughs> great. So silly stuff. <laughs> We we would be taught we would be doing that right that's that's what our prayer life would be right but let's look at how the early church responded to this affliction to this persecution so Acts four uh, beginning in verse twenty three let's read down to verse uh, thirty one okay and being let go they went on their own company or went to their own company. And reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, Why did the heathen rage and the people uh, imagine vain things? The king of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For thus are, sorry, for of, of 
a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to, to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants with all boldness that they might speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Okay, so... Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that was still the King James, <laughs> which we can probably uh, move move from. You want to move from it, but okay. but okay, because kind of explain what that prayer was. Sure, the prayer was basically this: God, you're in control of all this. You made the sky, you made the the heavens. You you are in control, and we know that Jesus was your plan, and we know we watched it happen. We watched Jesus. Be, become what you wanted him to be through the hands of Herod and Pontius Pilate and all these other people. And he says, but now listen to these people threatening. Like, <laughs> this is nothing to us now because right. we've seen Jesus and we've seen your plan fulfilled. So their prayer, basically, uh, here in the NCB, it says, and now, Lord, listen to their threats. Lord, help us, your servants, to speak your word without fear. So their, their prayer wasn't protect us, keep us from being arrested and keep us from being beaten again keep us safe. That was not what their prayer was. Their prayer was help us to be bold so that we can speak your word anyway and show us to have power to heal and give proofs through miracles. And I just love the fact that it says, and when they had finished praying, the place where they were was shaken. Hmm. Like the whole place just, you know, trembled, trembled with the power that was behind uh, all of that. And I just find that so, um, so fascinating that for one, what they were praying for tells that they've been in communion right. with God. They, they've been communicating with him. Yeah, They even said, we saw the proof. We've, we've seen your workings. And so we're, so it's important to a, that they were praying together and B what they were praying for. And because of all that together, there was a supernatural movement. Amen. And I don't know if any of you guys listening have ever had a supernatural thing happen during prayer. I know that I have. And it's, it is so faith affirming and it is so, um, it, it is just so powerful to know that God physically responded in some way to something you either requested or you wanted his presence in or whatever, and he actually shows up. Sure. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's there's been... Uh, I had a friend of mine sharing a prayer that he offered over me years ago whenever I was struggling with all kinds of bad stuff. And I, I, was, I was just in a bad place spiritually, completely. And... He knew that I needed the gospel of grace, and he knew that I needed all this, and he was preparing to help help me, help show me these things, but God had a different plan for me. Sure. And he had me where I needed to be 
in order to do what he was wanting. Anyway, I talked to this friend much later, and he was telling me all this, like, years after the fact. And he was like, I was praying before I went to you. And he was like, it felt like God grabbed me by the hair of the head, pulled me back, and said, no, do not take this message to that brother right now. I have plans for him. And dude, man, I just, I just broke down. Sure. Whenever he told me that, I was like, you've never told me this, like, all these years. And, uh, but looking back on it, I see the beauty in it. I see what God was doing in it. Sure. But I've personally experienced those types of, of things in prayer. And I know one, uh, one of them was in when we were in Haiti. One of the first times we went over there, that we were we were worshiping with this local church, and the the pastor looked over at Kevin and said, "I I want to pray for the for the missionaries, but I especially want to pray for him because I've seen him in my dreams, and I know he is in desperate need of prayer." Our jaws just fell to the floor because Kevin's depression was so bad at the time we barely got him there. Yeah. And so then he calls the congregation forward to all lay hands on us and pray for us. And it was like, it was almost this. The place was shaken with it. It was, I could feel everyone's hands trembling and it was just amazing. And so the power of praying together cannot be underestimated. Mm -mm. Like there's so much power in it and we've neglected it like so much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so if, if we move on like through the rest of the book of Acts, I mean, <clears throat> after the ascension in Acts 1, they are gathered together in prayer, Acts 1 and 14. When they, it comes time to figure out who's going to replace Judas, and they get uh, Matthias, Acts 1, 24, they're gathered together to pray about it. Day of Pentecost, they're praying about it. Sure. Peter and John released from prison. We just read that. They were gathered afterward to pray about that. Deacons were called. They prayed over that, Acts 6 and 6. James was martyred in Acts 12, and Peter was put in prison. What did the disciples do? They went to Mary's house and they prayed Prayed, together. That's right. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are called into the very first mission trip to go who knows where. Like, they don't even know where they're going. They're called out of Antioch. Right. And what does it say right before then? They were gathered together in one place, praying, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, you call out Paul and Barnabas to go. Uh, Paul and Silas are in prison in Acts 16. They begin to pray together, and what happens? Angel shows up, opens up the the prison doors. Uh, When Paul is about to go to Jerusalem, and he leaves Ephesus, and he loves those people. We don't know that story. That story is real dear to us in in Acts 20. What What do they do? They pray together. That's right. They're begging Paul, don't go, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to get arrested. We know God's even prophesying. Yeah, bind, binding his hands and feet. Yeah, and he's saying, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested. And he was like, I know this. And they wept over him, and they prayed together. Sure. And before that trip was over, Paul goes to Tyre. And when they land at Tyre, what do they do? They go search for Christians in Tyre, and they bring them out, and they all pray together on the beach prior to to Paul going to Jerusalem yep. because they know he's going to get arrested. So he goes to Jerusalem, he gets arrested, ends up on a sh- on a boat heading toward Rome. 
And we all know what happens. The shipwrecks. Right. And what are they doing? Praying. Praying. <laughs> exactly. So, so it's like, uh, this is everywhere. It covers the entire New Testament, even, of corporate prayer and of all the importance of praying together. Yeah. Uh, one of the verses that you read uh, last week was um, uh, 1 John 1 and 3. Where that's where we talked about this koinonia thing. Sure, and so uh, the, you know that verse just simply says, "What we have seen and heard, we announce to you too, so that we have may that you may have fellowship or koinonia with us, and indeed our fellowship or koinonia is with the Father and His Son Jesus Christ." Right. So there's this cool thing that happens that yes, there's this fellowship between us and God, and that's awesome, but that builds. Because you have it, and because I have it, yes, we have it, right. And so there's this continual togetherness. Koinonia, right? It builds. Okay, so koinonia. We talked about it a little bit last week. Sure. Uh, build on it a little bit. It is a a Greek term, which is, and we may be repeating ourselves some, that is almost impossible to translate. So the translators have done their best by coming up with words like fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation, communication, distribution, contribution, even the word intercourse, it can be translated as. So, so this is an intimate word. Very intimate. And it's, yeah. a, and it's an all-encompassing word that means a, a bond that binds us together so tightly it can't be undone. So I think about um, one of the things that happened at Pentecost. Think about what Pentecost was, Shavuot. It is this feast of, of bread, right? right? And so one of the things they do is they, they cook this bread and participate in it. So the wheat is all ground up. Now, if you think about what wheat is, it's, it's a bunch of individual grains, kernels of yeah. grain, right? And, and they, you know, grind them together. Right. And they bake them together into this mixture and you add this agent into it to make it cohesive which would be like god the holy spirit jesus and we are the wheat so we are the kernels of wheat but once we go into the bread what happens we become one we become bread right we're no longer wheat that's right <laughs> it is a wheat loaf of bread and there's no way to separate those grains out again right and make it what it was before and that's koinonia like it's becoming a loaf of bread instead of being a piece of wheat beautiful picture wow and so that's what uh that's what i believe uh this this prayer helps us to uh to do there was a story that i i shared that i just thought was really cool you know you had a couple of stories that that tied into prayer and some of those were corporate prayer stories too sure um which is you know awesome yeah and uh so but this one is comes from a book that i may have it here yeah some of you guys may have read this book it's a very popular one. Oh, jim simbola yes good. jim simbola uh fresh wind fresh fire mm. um it's a great great book story about uh them planning this brooklyn tabernacle church and um and how amazing the growth of it was and that sort of thing. But there's this cool thing that happens 
um, w- around prayer and corporate prayer that I thought was just like really cool. So, um, so I'm, I'm reading uh, a part of it here. It says, um, it said the Brook- Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sings a song that captures God's penchant for using the weak to shame the strong. And it goes, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Well, Kenneth Ware was one of the associate pastors and has shown this kind of faith more than once. Years ago, this godly gray-haired African-American started an all-night prayer meeting on Friday nights in the church. Okay, so for, first off, that to me is pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. Sure. Like, okay, guys, we're going to start an all-night prayer meeting on Friday nights. How many people are going to show up? <laughs> Who wants to come? Woo, Friday night! <laughs> yeah! It's party time at the church. We're going to pray. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, they did this, right? And so it says, then he organized a prayer band is what they called it. A group of people committed to calling on the Lord at the church on a continuing schedule. Soon, the members of the prayer band were praying five nights a week from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. Today, they are in the church seven days a week praying 24 hours a day in three-hour shifts or longer. Every request we receive is written on a little card and lifted to the Lord for the next 30 days. Wow. So, basically, no matter what time of day or night you walk into this church, somebody is there praying in this from the prayer band. Right. So, and you're there at least three hours. You know, wow. That's <laughs> just mind-boggling. So anyway, he says, I remember the day that Pastor Ware said to me in a fatherly tone, he's at least 15 years older than me, Pastor, you know, we're still not seeing God do all he wants to do. And you're preaching with all your heart, but we need to see more conviction of sin, more of God's manifest presence in our services. I agreed and listened, wondering what he would say next. I'm serious, Pastor Ware continued. We probably have half a dozen HIV positive people in every meeting. We got crack crack addicts, we've got marriages on the rocks, broken-hearted moms, young people hardened by the city, they really need the Lord, and I want to have the prayer band start praying somewhere about this during the actual meetings. While you're preaching, we need to see God break through among us. So they started doing this. So they were like, okay, well, someone's going to be praying during their actual sermons or during the actual meetings, like in the up, upper room, or upstairs or whatever, they'll be praying. And so he says, um, the first or second Sunday after this effort, I was in my office getting ready for the afternoon service when I heard through the heating ducts a noise from a room upstairs, the sound of people praying. The worship had just begun and the prayer band was already calling upon God. Someone must have been kneeling at a chair directly beside the vent because I distinctly heard a woman's voice say, God, protect him. Help him, Lord. Use him to proclaim your word today. Convict of sin and change people, Lord. So he continues to say what happened at this particular service. He goes out to to do his sermon. He's going out to preach. He's standing up there in the pulpit. He's convicted. He's convicting people of their sin. He's just on fire. And so he begins to do an altar call and call people forward and, and this sort of thing. And he's so into it. He's got his eyes closed. He's up there on the stage praying and calling people uh, while he's got his eyes closed. And during all of this commotion, a guy approaches the stage with a gun drawn. Oh, my goodness. Leveled at him. And no one is, everyone's so into it, no one's really seeing what's going on. 
Well, this guy was a, uh, a practicing Jew, and he gets up there near the stage, and right as he was getting to the pastor, uh, his wife, who was playing the piano, opened her eyes and was like, Jim, look out, you know, and it scared this guy. He dropped the gun on the, on the stage and ran and said that people began to grab him, like, but not because of, hey, you hoodlum, but more of a, a wait, wait, don't go. Right. Uh, stay. Let's talk about this. And so they got him and uh, they, they brought him up on stage and he was just crying and he said, I don't know what I was doing. I, I was upset with my wife and I had the gun because I was upset with her. And I thought I was walking by this place and I heard all this going on in here and I thought, I need to give this to somebody. I don't need it. I need to give it up. And so he says, I wasn't coming in here to hurt anybody. I just wanted y'all to have this. Wow. And so um, he he hugged the guy and, and, and uh, basically got him to confess right there. And everybody began to respond. And before long, people are coming forward and praying and it's just going on like crazy. And like, 12 or 13 people were baptized that day. Wow. And he was like, after all this, he was like, I kept hearing that woman, like through the heating vent, saying, God, protect him and work through him today so that people will be convicted. And that just blows me away that it began with supplication to God. Sure. It began with bringing God into this and making koinonia, and God showed up that day and just made miraculous things yeah. happen. I love the I love that book. I love the stories, and the, there's another story that blew me away: a story about a mother who's been <clears throat> begging God for her son, who is into gang violence and all this stuff. I don't yeah. know if you re- do you remember that? Not right off. So they're. <clears throat> They're in the prayer service, and they would have nightly prayer services mm-hmm. where they just go for it. And so she was, she was in there night after night, just praying and praying and praying. And um, he left home. He said he he didn't want anything to do with her or anything to do with. So he's like sixteen years old, left home, living in New York, you yeah. know, and on the streets and whatnot. And so they're praying specifically for him in the middle of the service, and she hadn't seen him in months. Yeah, and he just walks through the back of the doors, and he's, wow. he just comes through bawling, and, go, and he goes, "I need to, I need to give my life to Christ like, <laughs> right now. I need to do that." And it was through their their corporate prayer. Um, Life Action Ministry is a ministry I was involved with for a couple of years. We did this <clears throat> thing where we had a prayer room. So you know, typically when revivals come to town, you, you do the the hell is hot preaching, and then <laughs> at the end of it, you have a come to Jesus meeting where people can come to the front and pray. Yeah. And that's typically what it is, but Life Action did things a bit differently. They put, number one, they put on two and a half week revival services. They didn't come for one week. It wasn't something to just, you know, come and come preach. And go, yeah. right. But it was something that we are, we're going to come and seek God with you for revival. But their biggest emphasis was on prayer, um, and they, they set apart a room in the church, in each church we went to, that was called the prayer room. We were called to, uh, the, the team members, we would pray two hours before the service began together in that prayer room mm-hmm. for two solid hours every night, 
praying together. Nothing else, simply just praying. And in the middle of prayer, somebody would sing out a hymn, and we'd sing together to the Lord together in prayer and all mm-hmm. this. So it was the most intimate. Life Action was a spiritual uh, school for me on crack, basically, because <laughs> of that. Right. Simply because of the prayer room, more yeah. than anything else. Um, and then it, it would be team members' jobs to... Uh, sit through the service in the prayer room and continually pray. So we would have four team members assigned to the prayer room, and that was our job for the entire revival was just to, to pray. Yeah. Um, but the impact that that had on me especially, but then then on these revivals was just monumental. Mm. I mean, people would just be coming to the Lord left and right, and the prayer room was open the entire time, and we didn't have a invitation we right. we had a prayer room if you felt convicted wow go to yeah. that prayer room and that was the i love that model yeah but you know actually that's model. how the altar call got started yeah like way back in the day of the tent revival thing you know people would get moved by the sermon or whatever and they would get up like what do i do what do i do i gotta and and it was disruptive right. and so i heard that they actually had like because these are outdoor types of things they would have like a sheep pen that they would set out, you know, sure. they would set up outside the tent. And they were like, if you feel convicted, go to the pen. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so it's the same type of deal. You Absolutely. Know? And then it became more part of the service come forward to, right. the, to the front. But. but then, you know, uh, and I've been involved in churches that actually did a 24-hour prayer because of Life Action's model. They came, After we left, they, they said, you know, the one thing that we love more than anything else is that prayer room. And our advice to them was to open up a prayer room and do it have a 24-hour schedule vigil. Yeah. And so in the middle of the night, you know, people would come in and they'd be praying for their three hours and they'd shift off and on and continually do that. And the work that happens, it's amazing, you know, God's word is true. Yeah. And it's amazing what happens when God's people pray. Yes. And especially in a corporate setting together, that's how nations are changed. All the great awakenings mm-hmm. didn't start with great pastors. They started with great prayer. Right. All, right. all any movement of God always starts with prayer. Mm-hmm. All throughout Scripture, and it's always corporate prayer. Yeah. Always corporate yeah. prayer. It's just everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, whenever we go to Haiti, we do, prayer is like a big thing. Well, we do prayer walks sure. where we walk around town praying for people, and that's all we do. And we have gotten some of the most amazing responses and stories and 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 such out of that because it's not threatening sure. it's not hey do you know my lord and savior jesus christ you know it's <laughs> you, you hey i want to pray for you i want to implore on your behalf sure to god and it just it, it changes the the whole setting of it dynamic yeah. and so you know we were on one of these prayer walks one time early on and uh i was talking about prayer to uh, Pastor John, and, and he said, he says, well, you know, in America, I know y'all like to, pr- to lead a prayer, and you pray, and the people listen. He said, but in Haiti, the people pray, and God listens. <laughs> and what he was saying was, they all pray together out loud. Right. Like, no one's leading this prayer. They're all individually praying and all at the same time. And so whenever we go to worship services, they're doing that. Like they're all praying together out loud. 
And of course, you just feel completely comfortable with doing your own prayer out loud because no one's really listening to individual prayers. It's just this big, you know, noise and and drum of 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 prayer to God. And uh, those are some of the most emotional moments that we have over there. I remember just sitting there, tears running down my face. I don't even really have words to say to God. Like he's speaking, like the Spirit is speaking for me because I just, I'm moved sure. so much. And it's like I'm not understanding a single word anybody is saying because it's all in, in Haitian Creole. So, <laughs> so it's so weird to witness the power sure. that happens through prayer like that. So anyway, I just find it very fascinating. Um, to kind of end the, the study, I just wanted to look at a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So, you know, Bonhoeffer is just an amazing example yeah. of faith and, and perseverance and this sort of thing. And, you know, it wasn't easy to be a Christian where he was, <laughs> where he was at. Uh-uh. But this is what he had to say. He said, it is, in fact, the most normal thing in the common Christian life to pray together. And I guess my question to the listeners and and to all you guys out there is, is that true for you? Mm. Is that the most normal thing in your Christian life, to Mm. pray together? And I I think that it needs to be. I think it should be the most normal thing for us to be in prayer together because there's a lot of obstacles that we have to face both individually and in groups. And I believe that there is persecution on the horizon somewhere. And so, I mean, here in America, are we going to be, are we going to be ready for that? Are we going to be praying together? Are we going to be praying for boldness? Mm. Or are we going to be praying for that hedge of protection? (laughs) (laughs) Powerful. So anyway, that's all I got. You got, uh, you got some news for us? Hey, let's do it. Now, the news. All right. First up on the docket, uh, did you hear about the man attacking a police officer at Notre Dame Cathedral today? No, I didn't hear that. It's crazy. That happened today? Yeah. uh, A man wielding a hammer and knives has attacked a police officer outside the Paris Notre Dame Cathedral. Police officer was not killed in the attack, and his condition is said to be stable. But the attack caused heightened concern in the wake of the increasing terror attacks in Europe. Uh, the assailant is thought to be an uh, Algerian student, and the witnesses said he that he said this is for Syria before he attacked the officer. France is still on high alert since the terrorist attack um, was carried out in Paris in November, which killed 130. Uh, another recent attack occurred. In the Champs Cines in Paris in April, police officer was killed in that attack. Um, uh, France was also the target of a terrorist attack when the perpetrator drove a vehicle in the crowded. We we read about that on Bastille Day. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the uh, the assailant was shot. He's in critical condition, but uh, it's kind of crazy that happened at Notre Dame. Wow, at the cathedral. Man, I've always wanted to be. I've always wanted to visit Notre Dame. Be beautiful. Yeah, there are a bunch of of really cool cathedrals like yeah. that. So Planned Parenthood's annual report has come out, um, and the bottom line is that there have been more abortions and less health services. 
The annual report shows the organization performed more abortions last year than ever uh, while providing fewer cancer screenings, STD testings, and other health services. Uh, Planned Parenthood usually releases its reports at the beginning of the year but delayed this year's release. Critics of the organization say the delay was because Planned Parenthood is at risk of losing more than $500 million in annual funding that Republican lawmakers want to reallocate uh, to other health clinics. Representatives from Planned Parenthood, however, have said that the federal funds are not used for abortions but for other health services the, uh, the organization provides. The problem is... If they're not used for abortions and they're used for the other health services, what are the other health services? Because they're really not doing anything else. Right, right. Except for the abortions. Well, yeah, the, everyone wants to point to, uh, you know, um, birth control. Right. And for, for those that can't afford it. You sure. Know, all that sort of stuff. A hygiene. Right. You know. But the truth is that they, you know, they make their money. Mammograms. Right. Yeah. They make their money off of the abortions. And so. They push everybody to the abortions. Anybody's seen the, the hidden videos mm. of that uh, will understand. It's insane. Well, and let's just be frank and go to the source. Margaret Sanger founded Planned Parenthood. Sure. And the and she was a uh, eugenics right uh, proponent, which means she believed in the perfect race that yeah. we needed to to weed out. The lesser races and sure. and people who were, uh, I mean, this is the same thing that drove Hitler. This is sure. the same thing that drove that drove a lot of of people in that time frame. And the whole reason she made plan formed Planned Parenthood was so that she could give free birth control to the inner cities, which was where she considered the people who were unfit to procreate. Right. So there was a reason. <laughs> That was her goal. <laughs> Why she was doing that. It was not out of the kindness of her heart because she cared about women's health. Mm. No, it was it was about weeding out undesirables. Wow. And when abortion comes along, that is an extension That's right. of that. Mm -hmm. So you can wrap all the politics around it you want. But that's really what was was at the heart of, of Planned Parenthood. And I don't even know if it's if that's you know, but that's that's it's that's where it came from. That's right. So all right. A seventy year old church secretary has been caught stealing nearly sixty thousand dollars from her church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's from an Iowa church where she worked. Um, last year it was discovered that Carol Jean Pagnet, who was the secretary at Unity Lutheran Church for 11 years, had stolen at least 59000 from the church to purchase personal items. Pagnet was implicitly trusted at Unity Lutheran Church, where she stole uh, where she was solely responsible for the church's finances. The church began to be stretched financially, and Pagnet embezzled more and more money for a new car, an expensive vacuum, and other items. Wow. I can just I, imagine the just, pastor. Yeah. Be like, you're one of the sorriest church members I have. <laughs> you're not worth 15 cents. <laughs> no, apparently you're worth 59,000. <laughs> I can see her going, I need a new vacuum. <laughs> that uh, video room ain't going to be a youth, youth hangout. hangout. 
<laughs> church members rose to meet the challenges, raising more money. When this didn't seem to help the church financial situation, church leaders decided to take a look at the church's bank statements for themselves. And that's when they found evidence of Pagnet's theft. Pagnet has been sentenced to 80 hours of community service under probation for two years. She's also been ordered to repay the money. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, but she did say, I apologize, my actions were deplorable, so. Yeah, deplorable. Yeah, well, you stole $60,000 from the church. It's pretty <laughs> deplorable. <clears throat> Have you heard about the Lumo Project? No. Uh, it's Has... it's from Bible, I think Bible Gateway, or from the Bible app. Okay. So basically what they're doing is they're taking... The gospel, I'll just read this. New project of focusing on Jesus' ministry and bringing the gospel of Matthew to life for Bible readers. Christianity Today reports that the Lumo Project recreates Jesus' life and ministry as portrayed in Matthew's gospels. Users can now view this recreation through the YouVersion Bible app. Lumo's website describes the project this way. The Lumo Project is a versatile education uh, educational resource that can be seen and heard by a truly global audience as it can be dubbed into any translation in all languages. The pioneering educational resource is designed to promote biblical literacy for everyone, irrespective of faith. We use the very latest historical research to recreate authentic first century Palestine. Breaking from stereotypical westernized Jesus, the Lumo Project redefines the standard of visual biblical media. So basically... So it's like a virtual reality? Virtual thing? reality for a gospel, yeah. The gospel of Matthew lets you witness Jesus' life firsthand from the perspective of one of his closest friends, his disciple Matthew. See the prophet Jesus, uh, prophet John baptize Jesus, watch Jesus deliver his Sermon on the Mount, then miraculously feed 5,000 people, witness his crucifixion, followed soon after by his glorious resurrection. The Gospel of Matthew is available for you to start enjoying now. It is all new series of short video clips in the Bible app at Bible.com or on your Apple TV. Uh, so <clears throat> sounds very similar to something that uh, that came out years ago. I used to have a copy of it back when CDs were the oh yeah the, the software the CD ROM <laughs> the CD ROM uh, Illuminate was what it, it was called. It was very similar to this. It was like three D walkthroughs. Yeah, of, it was very like it, remember the video game Mist. Oh yeah, it was like mist for the Bible, but you know you were walking through the really? temple and you know that sort of thing. So, That's pretty cool. Yeah, you click on the icon and move to the next section. Yeah, that sort of thing. So huh. it sounds very similar. Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like it'd be pretty cool. I'm, I want to check it out. Yeah. So um, there have been uh, Cambodian's child sex industry is dwindling, and they have Christians to thank. Um, so there's a group called the International Justice Mission who have been infiltrating Cambodia and rescuing children, and they've been using uh, spies, Cambodian spies, uh, to infiltrate. It's pretty cool. And and then Cambodians are becoming, like, there's, I guess, there's almost like a revival happening in Cambodia, which is, right. like, the last place on <laughs> earth you'd expect Christianity to be blossoming, but it's blossoming. It always blossoms under persecution. It right? always does. Always. Uh, so there's a, a great story. Um from this kid named Sikh Sarunum. I can't pronounce his name right. But uh, he's he's a uh, Cambodian, and he started helping out this group, the uh, International Justice Mission, um, find sex traffickers. Mm -hmm. uh, so his job, he's a bartender, and he would, he would scan them out. And so they gave him a Bible, 
And so he was checking out the Bible, you know, on his offhand, and he became a Christian. And so he's helped, like, free thousands of kids uh, between 2003 and now. He's helped, like, uh, free, like, 15,000 children from sex trafficking. Wow, that's awesome. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing how this is working. But um, so the sex trafficking slate is all but uh, kicked out of Cambodia because of him. Uh, you can read that that story in Christianity Today, but it's a pretty powerful firsthand testimony of how one man became a Christian and, and helped the uh, IJM. So, anyways. And then today in church history. <laughs> I wrote a book. That's not, that is the wrong stinger. Yeah. There we go. We need to get in our TARDIS. <laughs> By the way, I saw the most emotional clip today on Facebook of yeah. Doctor Who. Did you really? Yeah, it was from our, uh, you know, what is it? Geeks Under Grace yeah, yeah. page. But they had this great clip of uh, Doctor Who taking, um, oh my gosh, what's his name now? Made Starry Night. Painter. Van Gogh? Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. He t- took Van Gogh to a modern art exhibit and showed him all these paintings. Yeah. That he'd done. <laughs> Van Gogh's like weeping because he thought, you know, his life was no worthless. One, yeah, no one loved him. And yeah, it, was, it was pretty powerful. It made <laughs> me cry a little bit. That's awesome. Anyways, all right. <laughs> I love Dr. Who. Today in church history, it's fun to stay at the YMCA. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It takes a village, people. It does. It takes a village, people. <laughs> a strong argument can be made that the Christians and voluntary associations have done more good for the world than its governments put together. One such association is the YMCA. The YMCA first report expressed, as well as anything, the problem which led to its formation. Until recently, the young men engaged in pursuits of business were totally neglected. They were treated as though deprived of mind, as though formed only to labor and sleep, without a moment of spiritual or mental culture, without the disposition or even the strength for the performance of those devotional exercises which are necessary to the maintenance of a spiritual life. Country boys like George Williams were appalled at the degradation of working men in London, Williams, who was strongly influenced by a rather unusual combination of religion, religious forces, the British Quakers and the American evange- evangelist Charles Finney, can't stand him, began a work <laughs> among his fellow employees. Soon he had won many to Christ. A go-getter in business, he uh, go-getter in business too. He rapidly advanced a partnership in his firm a drapery house, and use his own substantial wealth to support evangelical causes. I need a drapery. Yes. On this day, June 6th, 1844, 12 men, all but one associates of William's firm, met in his bedroom and created the Young Men's Christian Association. Its original intent was merely to work with employees of other drapery houses. Hmm. The era was one of evangelical advance. Associations to deal with the dreadful social and moral consequences of the industrial revolution were springing up everywhere in Protestant countries. The YMCA hired a hall and assumed the task of reclaiming men through lectures, exercise, and innocent amusement. Many prominent men threw their weight behind the work. Lord Shafflesbury was the YMCA's mm, president for the a time. The drapery man. <laughs> Thomas Vinney was another evangelical leader who gave their support. The organization caught 
on like wildfire. Long before William's death in 1905, it had achieved a membership of 150,000 in Britain and half a million in America with thousands of branches worldwide. From his service to the well-being of the nation, Queen Victoria knighted him. Today, the YMCA does not have the evangelical impulse it once did. Mm. Nevertheless, it continues to promote physical and intellectual well-being in men and women throughout the world. Although now largely forgotten, its early non-denominational Christian ideals gave rise to an organization which bettered the lives of millions. Wow, that's cool. I never knew the history of the YMCA. And now you know the rest of the story. So, yeah. It all started with the draperies. And today, it's all about just going to the gym. Yeah. So. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do. Wow. We take something it, like that. Water's down. Water it down. All right. That's, that's, that's all, all I got, got, dude. Well, I've got uh, some more voicemail. Bring it on. So let's listen to, um, uh, believe it or not, Sam Bobo tried again. Oh, cool. Yeah, he strikes again. But uh, here we go. Hey, guys. It's Sam Bobo again. I am still going through the backlog. So, uh, continuing a tradition that I, I hadn't heard, uh, done again, um, by, uh, by Michael. It's time for the Ask the Theonaut <laughs> section, or segment. Um, I've been listening to the, I think it's called Christian Civil Wars, and it's reminded me of just a topic that I've heard back and forth through my life, um, and I'm going to add to it, is uh, are we sinners saved by grace or are we saints and no longer sinners or are we some kind of a blend of the two um, or did we become eternal when we became saved, therefore that changes things or are we still everlasting beings since we have a beginning and uh, you know, are technically not eternal without uh, beginning. Uh, just all of this, um, all of these things, you know, I've heard back and forth, back and forth, back and forth all my life. And that was the first thing, I guess, that came to my mind when I heard uh, Christian Civil Wars. Um, so anyways, I thought that, I don't know if that's something that can be turned into an entire show, but it might be something that you could touch on a topic. Uh, hopefully you all have not already discussed it, but... Um, if you have, eventually I'll find it. And if you do, that'd be great. So I appreciate it. I look forward to hearing more from you guys. Uh, take care. Wow. There are a whole bunch of questions in that one question. Did you get that? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Cause you're talking about eternity there. You're talking about, okay. Well, but the, I think the, the, the concept is coming from things that we fight over. Yeah. Cause we were talking about in that, in that episode he's referring to Christian civil war, I think that's the one that Michael and Brendan were on with us. Um, we talked about how people have beefs with one another, constant, and and how do we handle arguments with one another? Yeah. So, it, it, so I guess this, these are the topics that came to his mind. All right. So, just one of them. Uh, sinners, are we, are we sinners, sinners saved, saved by, by grace, grace, or are we saints and no longer sinners? Both and. <laughs> we are positionally perfect. In other words, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, so he sees perfection. Yes. Uh, so he doesn't know, He no longer recognizes our sin. It's been covered by the blood of Jesus, past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. Um, salvation is a process. It starts with uh, 
um, justification. Justification goes on to sanctification, goes on to glorification. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, we still sin, and mm-hmm. sin is deplorable, and it's disgusting, mm-hmm. and we as Christians realize that, and we continuously repent, but that's not so that we can be saved over again. We do that because we realize our need for Savior every time we right, sin. Right, right. Uh, well, and, and it helps in these arguments to stop thinking about it theologically and start thinking about it uh, relationshiply. Yes. God's our Father. Okay, Relationally. So yeah. if you have children, how do you treat them when they do something against your will? You condemn them to hell. Yes, you're gone forever. You know, th- no, uh, yes, they are your children. And yes, even if you can say, my son's an obedient son, does that mean he never screws up and he never <laughs> messes up and never lets you down? No. So it, it's, it, I think we try to put these types of things in buckets. Right. In, and we try to put them into systems of theology mm-hmm. instead of looking at them as for what Jesus portrayed it, which is this is a father-son relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yes, my dad, I might do something that just totally offends him, whatever. And if I do that and I find out about it, dude, it breaks my heart because I love my dad. Right. And so I'm not going to let that fester. I'm not going to let that just... And he, that's that part of he being may, a new creation. Yes, and he may have already forgiven me, probably has already forgiven me, but that doesn't stop me from going to him and saying, Dad, I'm sorry, man, I, I didn't mean to, to do that, or I, maybe I meant to do it, and I'm sorry that I was that way. Those, that's how relationships work. Right. So I think that you're dead on. It's, there's, there's little bits of those phrases that are true, we are saints, and we aren't sinners from the aspect of that's not our life decision. That's not our, our purpose is not to sin anymore. <coughs> right, and we should stop looking at ourselves, I believe, uh, so much sinners saved by grace as saints in the new covenant now. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we look at that, you know, we can we can write off a lot of our sin just by going... Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just, you know. But at the same time, one of my favorite writers, Brendan Manning, says it best, I'm a beggar at the 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 door door of Jesus. And that's the truth. We are. We're all just ragamuffins. We're all beggars at the door of Jesus. But the cool thing is, is no longer do we have to be beggars. Now we're sons of a king. Yes. And so we have an Abba, and we we need to live like that. Yes. And so salvation does happen in three major parts. Mm-hmm. You, justification is your positional position with God. You're now his son. You, right. And so as a son, you're treated as a son, and you're forgiven as a son. And just as if you'd never sinned. Just as, yeah, yeah. justified. Justified, never sinned. Right. Uh, but there's also such a thing as sanctification. Yes. Which means... As you have been saved, you are also being, being saved. saved in becoming closer to being like Jesus, becoming right. closer to God. You're, there's a growth pr- process, and which means we sin less and less, or we are focused on sin less, and so there is this need for a Christian to be drawn to holiness. Yeah. 
And our desire should not be, well, I'll go back to the thing I've always, the quotable quote that I always throw around. You know, people say, oh, if I'm saved by grace, does that mean I can do whatever I want? My answer is, depends what you want. Because if you want sin, then no, you're not, you apparently have not understood what it means to be saved. Well, you haven't been saved. That's the thing. The reality is, is God changes you. Whenever you decide to become, uh, whenever you decide to uh, to place yourself under 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 grace, mm-hmm. whenever you decide to become God's child through Jesus, God does this miraculous thing, and it's all the work of God. Yeah, God changes you. Yes, you. Well, the scriptures creates, refer to that as regeneration. Yeah, you're reborn, and so that's the moment when when God. God's got you, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the reality. So you, you become uh, this new being, and your wants to change, like your overall want, that's your right. overall desires. So yes, you're still going to have those lustful moments where you yeah. look and desire something that that God hates, or that that. But at the same time, your overall desire for righteousness and for holiness is going to make you hate the fact that's right that you wanted that and then you will continue on in righteousness yeah that's the reality those those in christ those truly in christ will continue on in righteousness that's the mark of salvation is continuing on so that was a very convoluted answer. Oh, my goodness. But and it was a convoluted question. Yeah, there's a convoluted question. So I, I think that was one of the... You talked about eternal beings, and we have differing ideas on that <laughs> in a million different ways. You can look at that. Uh, you can... I mean, we could spend a whole Theonauts talking about that and get ourselves in serious trouble. Yeah. Um, or, you know, and there's a lot of other questions, but uh, maybe we'll spend a uh, another... Maybe we need another Theonauts on Doctrines That Divide. Maybe. And, and just that. pick them out and then tell everybody how they're wrong? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe pick them out and go, These, this is what every, every, you know, this is what this person believes. And are they still a Christian? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the big things that we are standing behind here is let's, right. l- let's stick together on the blood of Jesus. And then some of this other stuff... You know, we'll work through that. Yeah. And that's part of the growth process. Yeah. And I think that some of this stuff is ambiguous for a reason. Yeah. God wants to know how we're going to handle these differences. That's right. Are we going to hate one another, Big, you know, while we're arguing about how we should love people, you know, or whatever? <laughs> right. He, he wants to know what's really in our hearts. And that, that starts showing up whenever biblical disputes start happening. Yeah. The people show their real side. That's true. And sometimes it's not the prettiest thing. Nope. So, I'm ugly. Yeah, well, me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so are we ready to get out of here? Hey, let's do it, man. All right, let's do this. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world, world, pro- world, the world. world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire podcast. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or... 
whatever you listen to podcasts on. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us an email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call... <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a game show host. <laughs> or <laughs> call us on our hot voicemail line. My hot voice... <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Okay. 972-885-7270. David doesn't know what several means because that was only two. <laughs> Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. <laughs> like us on Facebook. Oh wait, those are the other two. Facebook.com slash Theonauts. <laughs> if you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two. I mean, at, who doesn't like us? Oh, of course. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. Thanks for being here, Jeremiah. Thank you, David. All right, love you. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. This is your Great Commission transmission. You guys! Sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks!